Amen. Give the band a hand for a great job this morning. Well, good morning. We welcome you today. Those who are watching or listening online, we thank you for tuning in. And we're honored that you've chosen to be with us today here at First Ruston. Thank you, Justin, for a great song. And it will tie in perfectly in a few minutes, if it didn't already. Years ago in California, a very wealthy man had a beautiful daughter. She was in her early 20s, and she had these guys who were always coming around, wanting to date or wanting to marry. They wanted to marry her because she was beautiful and because daddy had a little bit of cash flow too. That didn't hurt. So finally, he decided it was time to make a decision, and he was going to help her make the decision. So he had these 10 guys come to his house, his mansion, one evening, it was dark outside, had a gigantic swimming pool. It was about 20 yards long, which is a really big personal swimming pool, and about 15 yards wide. He got him out by the pool, and he said, I'm going to decide, or you're going to decide tonight, who will marry my daughter? He said, all you have to do is be the first one to swim across the, this pool from one end to the other, and I'll explain more of that in a moment, he said. But if you get my daughter... You will work for me and you automatically make a million dollars a year. You will have access to our chateau, that is a house, in Switzerland anytime you want. You will have a free range to our place in Hawaii anytime you want. And I'm going to give you a $5 million wedding gift plus get my beautiful daughter. But the catch, in this swimming pool, there is a shark. There is water moccasins. There is snapping turtles. There is piranhas. We've seen those in our baptistry before. That's a joke. Those are flesh-eating fish. We would not want those, would we, Josh, in our baptistry. And an electric eel. So if you can survive that and get to the other side, about that time, he heard a splash. And he looked in, he looked, and a man, guy was like Michael Phelps swimming to the other end. And he didn't just get out of the pool. It's like he jumped, walked on water, Jesus out of the pool. He got to the other side, and the guy was just go, man, I was looking for a heroic, courageous person to marry my daughter, and, and you're the heroic, courageous person. What do you have to say to yourself? He goes, I want to know who pushed me. <laughs> we are in Nehemiah today. If you have a Bible, if you don't, scriptures will be on the screen. We're going we're gonna to be in several chapters, so go ahead and find Nehemiah chapter 1, if you're looking. And, and we're, we're in a series, Navigating Our Crazy World. We've talked about anxiety, depression, suicide, money, a lot of things that are involved in our crazy world today. But we're going to talk about, man, the need for heroes. We're going to talk about the need for people who are going to have courage, who are going to man up or woman up or cowboy up, however you want to say it, and, and, and be difference makers in our world. And so I want to lay out what does a hero look like from God's perspective. Nehemiah is a hero, I promise, a courageous hero. Here's the first thing, and this will be understated, but you got to have this before you have anything else. Heroes grasp what needs to be done. Man, they understand what needs to be done. Heroes understand what God wants God's will, God's way, what needs to happen. In chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalah, in the month of Keselah, that's, that's like our November, December, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's the winter palace for the Persian kings, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said, in verse 3, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. It's like burning your doors. 
When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, the background of this is important. So, let me share with you the background. This, about 586 B.C., 586 years before Jesus, the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, came in and destroyed Jerusalem and Judah. Destroyed the temple. They destroyed the wall, city wall. We're going to see the significance of that in a moment. They killed a lot of people, and then they took the wealthy people and the more well-to-do people back to Babylon to basically to be slaves, captives. And they left the poor people, and they just left the country and the city in shambles. Well, in 536 B.C., about 50 years later, the Persians and the Medes conquered the Babylonians. And they're nicer than the Babylonians, so they let a number of the Jewish people go back to Jerusalem, but they also take... Jewish people to be with them, to kind of be their servants and their helpers. And so, speed forward, we're at 444 BC, 444 years before Jesus Christ. And here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah, it says a brother, we don't know if that was a literal brother or a fellow Jewish person, comes and he says, hey, how's the city? How's, how's Jerusalem? How are people? Because, man, they're terrible. They're terrible. The city walls in disgrace. The people... The people are beaten down and they're discouraged. And you go, well, what, what in the world? What's a city wall matter? I mean, can't you just build a wall and everything be good? The city wall, in these times, man, this was your protection. This, this was your pride. This was just your, your security. They didn't have radar. They didn't have binoculars. They didn't have an air force. And so people lived inside of the city walls. But if you lived outside the city walls and the enemy's coming, you got inside the city, city walls for safety and protection. And for 140 years, Jerusalem had, had not, not had city walls. That's really like you not having doors or maybe even a wall on a certain part of your house. Wouldn't that be terrible? I think that would be really, really, really bad. It's in a terrible spot. And so Nehemiah spends an extended time praying and, and weeping and repenting and fasting, going without food, which you do that in a proper way as a Christian and it allows you to hear God in a way you might not normally hear God. And he knows what needs to be done. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says this. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to this city in Judah, where my fathers are buried, so I can rebuild it. Nehemiah is the cupbearer, a close associate to the king, king with a difficult name, Artaxerxes. And he prayed and he saw God. He studied his Bible, which would have been the Old Testament, and he knew what needed to be done is somebody needed to go back and lead to get that city wall rebuilt. The city was going to have no safety, protection, or pride until that happened. When he figured out what God wanted done, that was the first step. It certainly wasn't the only step. It was the first step. I want to tell you this morning, God's looking for heroes. God's looking for hero moms, hero dads. He's looking for heroes in churches, in our schools, in our community. And, and the, the start of it begins when you find out what needs to happen. And by the way, if you're studying your Bible regularly, you'll look at society and you'll know there's a lot of things that need to happen in our crazy world that aren't happening. Now, what I've noticed a lot of times, though, is that you and I, and I won't say you personally, but just what I've seen in churches and in communities is, is we don't really know what God wants. We know what we want. Churches will fight over the color of a carpet. We want green. We want red. Oh, I'm leaving and going to another church because I want a green. 
Oh, a church ought to sing just hymns or a church ought to just sing choruses or a church should have an organ or a church should just have drums. Everything in that is just, that's just flavor preference. That's like fighting over mayonnaise and ketchup. By the way, if you're a Christian, you like both. Amen? And I'm not so sure if you're really right with God, you're good with hymns and choruses, right? What does it matter if we're singing and praising God? It's flavor issues. God says, I want you to get past your immaturity and your flavor issues. Look beyond. Look at the world. Pray. Seek God. Listen to God. Know your Bible. Look at what needs to be done in our church, in your family, your extended family. Look what needs to be done in our city. And my goodness, open up and look what needs to be done in our world. God is looking for people who will have the sense and the sensitivity to know what needs to happen. Listen, the hero, number one, knows what needs to be done. But here's the second part. Heroes and courageous people, the same person, they have the courage to get in the game. Boy, this is big. They have the courage to get in the game. They're willing to jump out in the middle of it. In verse 17, Nehemiah knows what needs to happen. He's taken a lot of time to hear God on that. Then he said to them, You see the trouble we are in in Jerusalem. We lie in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We no longer, so we'll no longer be a disgrace. Folks, he knew what needed to be done. And then he said, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm in. I'm going for it. I'm going to step out and get involved. Folks, giving critiques and advice can be helpful but God has not called you and me to be the critic the judge and the advisor to everybody else in the world and you want to be a hero the hero doesn't sit back and point out how the person who's trying is messing up the hero says I know what needs to be done and I'm going to get in the game and try to do something about it a, a Canadian writer, this is a great quote he said many of us are prisoners of our past we're prisoners of the past He said, we need to become architects of the future. Don't you like that? I'm going to even add a little tidbit more to that. Don't let your past continue to ruin your life and define you. Whether it's personally, your family, your church, your city. But be an architect. Know what the, the future needs to look like. And I want to throw in this. And then be a builder. Get in there. Not only draw the plans up, but say, I will help make the plans come to pass. Man, that is so huge. Heroes are willing to get in the game. In, in September this year, in the United States Congress, they were interviewing a man, and I don't know what all was this about. I just caught this part of it, read this part of it, saved the article, if you want me to share it with you this week, where a, a United States representative was talking to a medical doctor from the Planned Parenthood organization. And they had an exchange about who could get pregnant. And the doctor, in kind of a sophisticated way, he said, men can have pregnancies. Well, what? And we don't say that in Louisiana, do we? My wife can have pregnancies. Or we say, you know, they're pregnant or they're not pregnant. And so he said, what, what are you saying? Are you saying men can get pregnant? Men can have pregnancies. And I will give it to this representative. I don't know who he is, but he said, dude, a, a man can dress like a woman and act like a woman, but he can't have a baby. A biological man can And I will throw this in here. You can dress me up like a chicken, but I'm not going to lay an egg for you. <laughs> you can dress me up like a cow, but you're not getting any milk. 
And I would have never thought five years ago in our world we would be so crazy that there would be a debate on whether men can get pregnant. But I'm going to tell you, I'm settling it right now. They can't. And I'm just glad that somebody knew that and had to tell a doctor that but had the courage not to sit back and go, oh, this is terrible, but to say, hey, wait a second, on national TV, that's wrong. You see, heroes, heroes don't just know what needs to be done and criticize everyone else. They say, I will get in the game and do something about it. That's what God's looking for. That's what this world's looking for. James McPherson's a historian. He looked at leadership studies, 3,300 leadership studies from 600 B.C. up until the present. He said, great leaders have two dominant qualities. Now, I think they have more, but two. He goes, they have vision. They know what needs to happen. They know, they, need, they know where you need to go. And two, they have the courage to make it happen. They have the courage to get in the game. Man, that's so true. Hey, God's calling you to be a hero. The crazy world needs heroes. It needs men and women and young people. Young people, you can start being a hero today. You don't have to wait till you get old. And, and it begins with knowing what needs to be done and having the courage to jump in there and do it. Let me give you a third thing. Man, heroes inspire other people. That's, why, that's one of the reasons they're heroes. They inspire other people. John Max was a great leadership expert, and I would, I agree with so much of what he says. I, I, I like to always define this a little bit more. He says that leadership is influence, and I, I agree with that, but, but I think you have to give a little more to it. Hitler had influence, didn't he? Putin has influence. Go to Ukraine, you will see Putin has influence. So I, I think that really, we want to look at people, how can we influence people in a positive way, in a God way? See, some people are good at influencing. They stir things up. You ever know anybody like that? They stir things up. They create problems. They divide people. That's not, listen, God's looking for people that are going to point people to him and unite people behind a cause much greater than themselves. Man, that is Nehemiah. In chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And I told the people the gracious hand of God was upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they begin this good work. I would encourage you this week, if you have a chance, to read this little book of Nehemiah. It's not long. Here's what you see in chapter 3. Nehemiah, by his vision and his courage, inspired 42 different people groups to get behind him and get with him in building this wall. Can you imagine that? 42 different people groups. When he said, this is what we need to do, it's right, it's of God, follow me. 42, not 42 people, 42 people groups. Dangerous work, scary work, hard work. A real enemy fighting you, 42 people groups said, let's make it happen. Billy Graham said, courage begats courage. What did he mean by that? He meant this, courage inspires courage. Sometimes all it takes is one man, one woman, one young person who will step up and say, enough's enough, or we need to go this direction. And there's a lot of people that are just waiting on somebody else to step up. Why don't you be that person? Courage creates courage in other people it inspires that I don't know who said this but it's so true many working together even if we just do a little can conquer much evil I, I throw this in here many working together even if you just do a little we can do much good 
two people working their hearts out are not going to get as much done as 50 people working half-heartedly. Amen? Give me 50 half-hearted versus Josh and me alone. Courageous people inspire others. Here's the fourth thing. Heroes have the courage not to back down. This is where Tom Petty and Nehemiah merge. <laughs> they get in the fight and they stay in the fight. Now again, I want to say this. Some of you, sometimes certainly me, is that we need to step out of the fight. We need to admit we're wrong. We're in the wrong fight. We need to compromise. We need to say we're sorry. We need to go a different direction. But, but when you know God's in it and it matches with the word of God, not with my opinion about something, but with the word of God, and God's leading you and it's right, you got to decide whether I'm going to have the courage to stay in the fight or not. And Nehemiah did. Warren Wiersbe was a great preacher and Bible scholar. He said this. This is worth, man, it'd be good to know when I was young. I wish I would have. When you start to build or rebuild, you're fixing to start battling. When you decide my family is going a different direction, in a good direction, in a positive direction, you, you've kicked the devil's hornet's nest. When you decide that for a church or a community, you see this in our country. When people stand up and make stand, boy, they are going to get hammered. You know what? That's just part of the gig. When you start to build or rebuild or to do something great, you need to know, you need to understand that you're going to start battling. That's what happened to Nehemiah. Look in verse 10 of chapter 2. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites because someone had come to rebuild the wall because it was a threat to their power. And by the way, if you read this book, what you would see, these were fake spiritual guys. Tobiah's name literally means the Lord is good. Yahweh is good. Tobiah later on, had a, he had his own little room in the temple. And they masked themselves with spiritual talk and spiritual gobbledygook. But man, their heart was not in the right place at all. Chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked are you rebelling against the king? They were accusing him of treason. Man, you die for treason. It says they mocked and ridiculed them. They made fun of them. They belittled them. What are you doing? You guys, you don't know what you're doing. We'll see more and more in a moment. Don't you like getting ridiculed? Don't you like people making fun of you? Belittling what you're trying to do? Someone said a lot of men and women can survive a bullet, but they can't survive ridicule. Man, the heat is on, Nehemiah. Just because all he's trying to do is follow God, by the way. In chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Chapter 4, 1 verse 3. On the screens, here we go. When Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. Greatly incensed, he ridiculed the Jews. See, he was doing this constantly, verse 2. And the presence of his associates and the army. See, this is what people do. They stir it up. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall and offer sacrifice? Will they finish this in the day? Can they put, bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? In verse 3, Tobiah has to get involved. What are they building? Even a fox climbing on this wall would break the walls down. You don't have to be an animalologist to know that a fox isn't a very heavy animal. And if he can jump on a wall and knock it down, 
it's not a very good while. They're making fun of them. They're ridiculing, but it gets worse. Again, you need to read the whole book sometime. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, just write that down. You look at it later. Then they come to him. They send messengers. Hey, meet us out in the desert, Nehemiah. Take some time off. Take some time off and meet us in the desert. We just want to talk. And he knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to get him away from the work and they wanted to kill him. He said, nope, too busy. Too busy about God's stuff. I'm not going to mess with you guys. Chapter 6, verse 10, he got a message. They're coming to kill you. You need to go to the temple and hide. You see, in the Old Testament law, there's a place you could go in the temple and someone couldn't murder you. Listen what he says in verse 11. Man, oh man, oh man. Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Wow. Now, here's the neat thing. They prayed and they were locked and loaded, to use our terms. They had swords. They carried trumpets. They were organized. Hey, if we get attacked on this end of the wall, you blow the trumpet, we're coming to, get, to help you. It literally says when they went to the bathroom, they took their swords with them. They had a sword in one hand and their working tools in the other. And their eyes were alert. They, they weren't silly. They didn't just say, oh, we'll just trust God. They said, we're going to pray and trust God. We're going to do our part. But you know what they said? We're not backing down. We're not backing down. We're not backing off of what we're doing. In Ireland, in Ireland last month, a school teacher was arrested. And anytime you see a school teacher's arrested, it kind of makes you nervous. What happened? What happened? Here's what happened. There were students in his class, boys that wanted to be called a she or a her, and girls that wanted to be called a he or him. And he said, no, I'm a devout Irish Catholic. My beliefs are that God made male and female, and I'm lying to my students, I'm lying myself, and I'm not going to call a, a, a he a she or a she a he. And they arrested him, and they put him in jail. Here's what he said. He said, I'm a follower of, of Jesus. I'm a devout Irish Catholic. This goes against my religious beliefs. I will stay in prison 100 years before I will defy God. Wow. That's what the world's looking for. That's what God's looking for. Do I want to stay in prison for 100 years? No. But man, I sure, man, that courage motivates me. You see, Tom Petty sang the song, I Won't Back Town, but Nehemiah was whistling it on the wall. <laughs> 2,400 years earlier. We have a picture. If you're a Cedar Creek student, you will really like this or a parent of a cougar. You see that little bitty cougar? And you see the big one behind it? Can you see the big one behind it? Fear nothing that in front of you because he who is behind you. When you're building the wall, whatever that is in your life, and God's behind it and God led you to do it, God's with you. Joshua 1, 9 says, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you're going to do anything in this life right, if you're going to be a hero, you've got to find out what God wants you to do and you've got to get in the game and then you've got to decide at some point, I will not back down. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. Courageous heroes ultimately win. They do. They win. Sometimes we don't realize it fully until we get to heaven. Sometimes we realize it fully here on this earth. In chapter 6, verse 15, you could read this in your Bible reading and miss this a thousand times. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Ula in 52 days, okay? We could get a church group of men 
We could build a wall around the playground in 52 days, couldn't we? We could. They weren't building a wall around the playground. They were building a wall uh, around Jerusalem. Josephus was a Jewish historian. A little bit after Jesus, here's how big this wall was, he says. He said the circumference, if you were to go make a circle around the wall, was four and a half miles. 960 acres of walled-in place. 1.5 square miles. The wall was about eight feet two inches thick. Now, let's use the basketball goal. You look at a basket goal from the gym floor to the rim is 10 feet. So the wall was about maybe close to the net. That's a pretty thick wall, isn't it? Was it four foot high? Was it five foot high? The wall was 36 feet high. Let's use the basketball goal again. That's three basketball goals up plus six feet. Michael Jordan or LeBron could not dunk on that wall. In 52 days, the wall had been down 140 years. Verse 16 kind of gives us a little thought on this too. Verse 16, there you go. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid. They lost their self-confidence because they realized that this was the work had been done with the help of God. Man, they won. You go over to chapter 13, verse 1 through 4, you see ultimately what the goal was. It was to rebuild the wall, but it was for the people to come back to God. And, And there's a great revival in the country. We would say people were being saved. Christians were coming back to God, we would say, man, God was getting the center and the glory and the, and the attention in this. And I want to tell you, when you decide you're going to follow God's plans for your life, in specific instance, you're going to follow God's plans with his leadership for your life, I want to promise you, you win. You will win. Sometimes, again, we may not realize that till we get to heaven. I love what George Bush the first, President Bush the first, Daddy Bush, he was a fighter pilot in World War II. Got shot down. I mean, he was, a, in my opinion, a hero. But when people would call him a hero, he would say, no, no, no. The heroes are the guys that didn't come home. The heroes are the guys that are in the bottom of the ocean. The heroes are the guys that are buried in some grave on the Pacific, you know, island of the Pacific Ocean or buried in Europe. Those are the heroes. I don't think those are the only heroes, but I understand what he was saying. Sometimes the, the biggest heroes are the ones nobody ever hears about. But boy, I want to tell you, in heaven... You'll be a hero when you do it God's way. Irvin McManus is a pastor in California, and he said some really, really good words about courage and heroes. He said, the history of God's people, that's you or it can be you. Listen to this. It's not God searching for courageous men and women who can handle the task. But God transforming the hearts of cowards. Don't you like that? (laughs) God's not looking for a hero. God's looking for someone to make into a hero. Courage is not an issue of your wiring, but of your willingness. It's not an issue of DNA, but of the heart. Courage is being afraid and going ahead anyway. Wow. It's what God's looking for. So if you're a Christian, I I would start with you first. Are you living the hero's life? Or will you? You can. 
Just make, decide you're going to find out what God wants from you to give him your heart completely and you dive into it. This morning, maybe if you're at home on your knees or at the altar on your knees, maybe coming and praying with a minister where you're standing, you need, to, you need to say, God, the rest of my life, I want it to be yours and I want to be a hero for your cause into this world. God will honor that prayer. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that if you're watching online. You can do that after church or you can come when we stand and join. We would love for you to. Listen, we're looking for heroes. We need heroes here. I think we can help you be one. Come and join us. And if you're not a Christian, man, what you need more than anything else is Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It starts there. You can come in just a moment. One of our ministers will help you come to Christ. We'll talk to you after church. Or if you're watching online or if you're here, if you'll just stay with us for another moment or two, I want to lead you in a prayer to give your life to Christ. But man, hey, the ball's in your court. It was in Nehemiah's and he said yes. Will you say yes? Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's respond as God leads us.